Hello, and welcome to Just Keep Writing. A podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. I'm Marshall. I'm Nick. And I'm LP. Today, joining us again for the second time on um, Just Keep Writing, the Pride Editions, is the illustrious Dave Ring. Instead of talking about the art of novella, this time we're going to talk about Dave's specific novella, The Hidden Ones, from uh, Satori Rebel. Sorry, a Rebel Satori imprint, Queer Space. Thanks for coming back. I can't with this. I can't with this illustrious <laughs> adjective. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm here. We're excited. Dave, to have if you back. want, we can be like the horrible Dave Ring. Does that help? Uh, I mean, it doesn't sound as good. You know, it might make me more comfortable. That's fine. <laughs> well, we're stoked to have you back and stoked to talk about your writing. Um, and so uh, this shouldn't come as a surprise that our first question is going to be along the same lines as last time, but this time we're going to be focusing on the writing of this book, the hidden ones. So if you could tell us three words that come to mind about the process of writing the hidden ones. Well, you know, I maybe should have prepared this, but because goldfish memory happening over here. So, um, three words for this book thwarted is the first one that comes to mind. Long ass is technically one word because of a hyphen. I'll take it. And hopeful, I think, is the the third word. Um, I'm pretty yeah. excited about the second one, but tell, talk about thwarted first. Why why that word? <laughs> well, I mean, I was so when I wrote this, I was trying to write a thing that was, um, and it's funny because we were talking a little bit about how long some of us here have been in various relationships and I was trying to write this book about uh, what it's like when you've been with someone for a real long time, as opposed to when you are just meeting someone or it's been five minutes or whatever else. And uh, so the impetus was like what it's like when you're having a hard time, even though you've been with someone for a long time. And maybe I'm projecting a little bit when I made it hundreds of years, as opposed to, you know, a mere dozen or whatever it was when I, uh, when I wrote it myself, but yeah, that was what the, the thwarted part was related to that. Got it. All right. Interesting. Okay. So, uh, long ass then we, we let you get I mean, away with the hyphen. So, <laughs> I mean, you can try to pry that hyphen out of my hands, but I don't know if you'll have any luck. Um, well, I don't know. That's the that's the other part. Like I was, I was, uh, I th- I don't know. I, I I always find it interesting when normal mortal writers try to write characters that have lived a long ass time, and that's one of the things that I was trying to play with in this. Where, uh, what is it like trying to depict something that has stretched out longer than like you really have the ability to, um like understand like and so how do you try to show that on the page and what if what a messed up things look like when they're stretched out not over six months but over six years but over six decades like that kind of thing cool i find that comment to be super interesting and i want to come back to that so i'm going to add it in my in the show notes but pin that dave a mortal writing about an immortal life i have a question around that all right i'm nervous but we can do that (laughs) All right. Well, talk about the last word, and then I've got one other thing. Then we can go back to Nick. Uh, talk about hopeful, Dave. Well, just I don't know. Like as much as as much as those things are have some challenges in it. Like ultimately, I feel like most things can be worked through if you want to. And there's often reasons why people don't want to work through things. But part of part of this book was about how do you get back to some kind of like a equilibrium with somebody when you've been rocky for a while? And so part of that for me is like, there's some hopefulness there that even if you've put distance and time and bad decisions between you, like there's ways to come out on the good side of things. If that's where you want to go. I like that. Um, What's the so before we get into Nick's question and and LP's got some stuff here, um, the, our listeners who haven't read it, um, or if you were to say uh, talk about this book, how would you pitch uh, the hidden ones? 
We love asking people this question. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm. It came from reading a lot of like Laurel K. Hamilton in my youth. It like so, like, I've I've been drawn to a lot of urban fantasy. I missed out on um, what's the dude series where he's like terrible and like, what's his name? The dude. No, 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 no. Sorry. I mean, what's the what's like the dude urban fantasy series that everyone always talks about? Yeah, yeah, I know who you're talking about, and it's skipping my brain. Um, I read the first book and I didn't like it. He's like a wizard, <sighs> and he's like a he's like a Mary Sue kind of vibe. Anyway, lots of urban fantasies. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 the James Butcher series. Yes, Jim That's Butcher. That, yeah. Jim Butcher. Jim Butcher. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is the name of that series? You know, Not the Dresden Files. It's the other one. Dresden. The Dresden. Dresden. Yeah, Dresden Files. I have right. so yeah. Sorry, I Dresden I Files by Jim Butcher. I could have googled that. My bad. In any case, I bounced off those really hard. More power to you if you didn't. But for some reason, the Laurel K. Hamilton ones and like their ilk, I just like gobble them up right. And uh, so, I, part of writing this book was thinking about. Um, how would I write that in a, like an Irish milieu? I lived in Dublin for five years, so I started writing this when I was living there. So half of the setting is like authentically lived experience, then half like I'm an American who just lived there for a while. So the other half is like romanticized Irish life from someone whose dad is really into his family tree. And mm. like, so, you know, it's, I feel like the, the authenticity level is like covering at 40%. Um, but the, um, so it's sort of speaking to lovers of urban fantasy who wanted to see queer kind of romance stuff happening and also uh, like messy Irish immortals. That was not, a, that was the elevator would have already let out at the floor. So thanks for riding with me. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're still there. It's a 26 floor building. <laughs> well, let me, let me, let me ask you this because I, I often like challenge people to this when I meet them in person. I'm like, give me your elevator pitch. And they give me the world. So I want you to give me a little of the character in conflict too. Oh, um, so the, the setup is sort of like, it opens with this kind of like indolent, spoiled, um, uh, gone to seed hero of a particular house, like a um, one of these um, immortal Irish houses. Uh, they're called Tuath, which are the, um, the 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 people, which are like modeled on like the Tuath of Dedanon and the the fairy, and like all these kind of like myths sort of mashed together. And um, uh, so he's someone who like used to be a big deal in the family, and they like, did one cool thing, and since then has been like fucking around in Dublin and like thinks that he's a big deal, but he's got like a barely functional relationship and a drug problem and he thinks that he knows everything and he knows very little. And, um, he quickly finds out that everyone else thinks that he's garbage and he tries to, you know, I'm trying to think of a good verb there. He's trying to, he's trying to climb his way out of that situation, both for his pride and for what he finds out to be the state of the world around him. And I guess the, the thing that I'm bad at remembering. So the other stake here is like, there's a a funeral kind of or like a like a funeral rite really early on where um, Baird learns that the way that things are meant to be with dying is not happening the way it's supposed to be and sort of that sort of like kicks into action the um, the next part of the story. Hmm. Awesome. That's what I think it's about. It's funny when I like say things and then other people are like, "Oh, that's cute that you think that that's the story." <laughs> No, I think it's interesting, though, because uh, you did a good job of the moment where he's like, oh, wait, people actually don't think I'm awesome. Like, I, I thought that, I thought that was awesome. I was like, oh, that's that's how it would go for sure. So, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, do you want to go to your question, Nick, or do you want to start LP? Uh, LP, if you don't mind, I'd like to go because it's. Please. All right, Dave, I have a weird 
the enough, I have a growing fascination with first lines. Oh God. Um, so if you, uh, I'm going to read your first line and I actually want to discuss it a little bit about what you're doing there. Some of the promises you're making and like a thought behind it, if that's okay with you. I mean, or do you want to read it? I know. I mean, how dare you, but also let's do this. Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I've been sitting on this all day. So just so you know, I got like five hours of thoughts behind this one. No, hit me, hit me. Okay, so I'm going to read it out loud so all the listeners hear it as well. If I mispronounce anything, go ahead and correct me on that one too. Um, but here goes. I sat askew on a fine chair at tea and miss... miss uh, see already. I wow. sat askew on a fine chair at tea amidst Miss Norris Lowe and her friends, limp-wristed and droll, saying anything and everything to ensure that she found me an amiably foppish companion. Love that line. <laughs> Practically a Muppet. <laughs> Definitely mispronounced a couple things there. I'm not... Um, one. You're good. Yeah, you're fine. So, this line is really interesting, interesting to me. I'm seeing two things here, and I want to start off with your first line for me is making a few different promises here. And it's also doing both world building and character building at the same time. What I want to start with on this question is what was your original intent for a promise to the reader with this first line? It's sort of cruel to assume that I knew what I was doing. <laughs> Look, I'm sorry. Well, this is a podcast. Really you can, like, you can pretend. Line. So yeah, we can cut all this out so it's like you answer within half a oh, second. Yeah, that's easy. I've I've already done it in my head. So so here's here's what happened. I didn't initially start with this. I started with the line um, on page three that opens the next section, uh, where uh, Baird wakes up with the, the the dead raven falling beside his his head um, while he's lying in the green, and. It occurred to me, one, that it's tacky to open with a waking up scene. And two, that it was better to ground him in the the supposed scenario that he thought he was competently handling in town. So when that happened, I was like, let's throw him into a tea party. And what he thinks he's doing is like being this... Um, sort of like performative like queer puppet and he thinks that he's like so entertaining and so droll do i literally use that line do i use that adjective yeah. in that? well yeah you use, sure you use the word droll yeah yeah I, I limp wristed and droll he's like performing his shit and he thinks he's doing it so well and he has no idea that they that, that this woman is basically just tolerating him so that she can get the the trade deals from his family and but you know the reader doesn't know that either for a handful of paragraphs so uh yeah that was the i was like this man has been drinking his own kool-aid for a long time it also makes me ask questions so i get to the end of that sentence it was like oh okay this, this is what i like about the stories at the beginning because they make you ask questions and the question, wanting the answers to those questions makes me want to read more. So it's like a nice balance of like exposition and like, I've said this thing, now I need to pay this off later. Um, and that first line is just like, why is he pretending to be gayer than he is? And there's more to it than being gay, because that's all he's, all he's pretending to be. Part of why I love it. I mean, he's not pretending to be gay. Sorry, why is he why is he pretending to be camp is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm just giving you a hard time. <laughs> Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um <laughs> so follow-up question. I don't so in this first line, I do not get a sense that he's drinking his own Kool-Aid until you say the next three words. Practically a Muppet. Yeah. Uh what? Okay, so uh, you change your first line completely when you add, like, with the next three words, practically a Muppet. 
that's like it flipped for the character for me knowing that like okay he's a little cocky on this one like now i get a, a bigger sense it reminds me of a sales bro in the tech industry uh is kind of the vibe i'm getting here is overly confident drinks his own kool-aid and thinks he's doing everyone a favor so he said um, push on without him so i think what he's trying to get at he's got he's got to reset his computer uh so I think what he's saying is you go, he didn't quite get at the beginning that he was a, um, you know, that he was drinking his own Kool-Aid, but then you have that line practically a Muppet. So I'm curious, and I don't know if this is what Nick was saying, but I'll just kind of riff on that. Um, so you said this was in the original beginning. You also, it's also like a little pop culture reference Muppet. We all know what that is. So what was your thought process behind those, that collection of lines, I guess. Sure. So Muppets also like a Irish, English, um, <laughs> I almost want to say slur, but it's just like a rude thing you say about somebody. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like when you want to say like an, in a nice way, you call someone chicken. Like it's it's when you're kind of being rude about it, you're like, oh, he's a Muppet. And I, I'm not entirely sure like this is one of these things that I've consumed as someone who lived there, but don't totally know the cultural origin of it, but it's just this rude ass thing that you say about Mm. people when they are being foolish and presumably like a poorly operated puppet. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, part of it was just trying to own the fact that like he had some awareness that he was being ridiculous and too much, but not understanding that everyone around him also saw that. Like that was what I was trying to do there. And as far as like it being from uh, later in the book, I just, I slid a scene from later is what happened is uh, I slid that scene from later. I was like, let's open there and then, do a do a rewind and say this is what happened earlier. So just to like get you into it, the the thick of things sooner. Got it. Cool. All right. OP will. I'm not going to give it back to Nick in case we lose him again. Yeah, I'll jump in. Um, I love like the story of an immortal underdog godling, right? And like I, I kind of like uh, I kind of cringe at the idea of using the, the, the phrase, the term godling, because, uh, you know, most of what we know, what we think about as mythology, we think about in the context of Greek and Roman and Greek and Roman gods. And even if you look at like the Norse gods, you know, they weren't gods in the way that we think about the Greeks and Romans, but we, we apply that label to folklore right, right. at large because we don't have words for it in each each pantheon pantheon's even a loaded fucking word in, in each yeah. belief system right um so talk to me about the i would love to hear about the research into this belief system to turn it into um the novum of a story yeah so that's not what i'm here to say go ahead you're good do you want to rewind no, because it'll just turn into a second question. <laughs> <laughs> so, like many people whose fathers have family trees that require them to travel to Ireland on four different occasions so that they can look at records and figure out where their family homestead once was. Which is like, that's not even like a phrase that like Irish people use, right? But my dad will be like, the family homestead. Like, (laughs) I've read and consumed like a lot of Irish mythology over the years. And so for this book, I took what I knew, which is sort of like stealing on my dad's Morgan Llewellyn books and whatever else. And what... I learned from my own research and then I sort of muddled it together under the, it's a little bit of a lampshading technique, but I was basically like, well, they got all the myths wrong. Right. And here are some of the ways. And part of that was both to, 
allow me to slide in some overt queer stuff into what would be this like legendary canon while also acknowledging like I'm not a like ancient Irish historian and like I'm gonna like like brutalize some of these details and I'd rather just say like some of these are are not gonna be what you've learned in class kind of thing um so for me, it was both lampshading that as well as like acknowledging that there's some details I'm not going to get right. So there's like, I don't know, a good like 20 different like characters, references to Irish mythology that I looked at, tried to like shove them together and then file off some of the serial numbers and then explicitly make some of the details wrong so that they wouldn't be perceived as like trying to to do a an authentic Irish mythology. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, how did you make the decision to write from this underdog immortals perspective? Um, this isn't like a really intelligent decision. It was just he was where I started from. I think he. I think I started writing him thinking that he was cool. And then a few years passed and I was like, this man is so uncool. <laughs> and that kind of gave me fire to like, keep working with that character, that voice. Um, so that was part of revision was like, how do I layer in the fact that this man does not realize that he is a total D bag? Like, what are the ways that I can like put that into text? Yeah, he's definitely like that that uh that like ne'er do well uncle or that uh asshole cousin. <laughs> Everyone's just like, Oh, he's here. Yeah, yeah. And like I I I act like I aspire to that status in my daily life. And then like some of the things actually happen, it's like, oh no, I don't want to actually do that. <laughs> like but Baird does. So and that's that's where we are. Yeah. I I do like that like there's a nice balance between like him being like the black sheep of his family, but also like having these really, this really um, honest relationship with Candace um, and also respecting her privacy, <laughs> like <laughs> not knowing what's going on with her magically, but respecting that fact because he sees her. I don't know. I thought I thought that was a really great way to turn him not this could have been Don Quixote, right? <laughs> but like sure. this is uh I, I love the balance that you strike with that. I thought it was really cool. Thanks. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like some people like the folks who are especially with family stuff, some people think that they separate their worlds and they're like doing fine in both, but like they're really just doing garbage at family stuff while they like live their lives. And I think that's sort of who I was thinking of with um, this character. Like, I don't think he's a, a shit friend necessarily mm-hmm. any more than, you know, part of friendship sometimes is earning the right to be a little shitty from time to time. But um, yeah, that, that, that felt like a balance that needed to be struck. Yeah. Especially if we, yes, uh, that was the only way, like those early moments with Candace are, they, they're the reason why I don't write Baird off like the rest of his family does. Mm, mm. So thank you for that. I mean, thanks for reflecting it back at me. (laughs) Dave, how do you go about world building in your own stories? Well, this one was tricky because I was trying to steal as much as I could from my lived experience and then also combining it with like an oral history of things that very much so exist in the world. So there's a little bit of the lampshading I was referring to to sort of explain the fact that I was ignoring some of the, the, archival knowledge of these things while also trying to create something fictional in that space. Um, So um, in this case, I was thinking a lot about families and about how to 
create legacy and like half understood family history. And another big influence for these books is the Amber series by Roger Zelazny, um, which were really influential for me growing up. And then I read them as an older person and was just like, there's so much misogyny and (laughs) trying to like, be like, but how do I use all the cool stuff here? And then I don't know, like, so I was trying to like invoke some of that, like messy family history in this um, while also sort of using the, the, the grist for the mill from mythology. Um, I don't know if that's a great answer, but I. No, it is a great answer. Cause you're telling me like how you specifically went about it <clears throat> for this story and the thought process in it. So like my follow-up question then, is there a, is there a way that when you're like, when you're the editor that it's different the way that you look at world building versus when you're writing one of your own stories. Oh, I mean, yeah, I, I don't have, there's something about the forest for the trees kind of metaphor that, um, feels really true to me here. Um, when I'm writing something, I love when people are like, oh, I really love how you explore the themes of like X, Y, and Z. And you're like, I didn't know I had those themes. Whereas when I'm editing something, I'm like, it something kind of like rises to the top and you just see it. Um, so that, um, that tension between editorial eye and writer eye is not only like felt, but it's like, it's definitely like a failing as like, as a writer, I'm like, why can't I see my themes? And I don't necessarily know what to do with that as I'm like going through it. It's, it feels like a, um, like a weakness in battle. (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. (laughs) And I just, I just try to figure out afterward. Like you just like read it later. Sometimes it's like, leave it on the table and then come back to it. And we're like, Oh, this is about grief. I thought it was sex. And then you're (laughs) like, no, 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 no. Like, (laughs) so, uh, it takes, it takes second chances and looking at things again, I think. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And especially like when you're reanalyzing the work after you've like put it down and read it again, I just think that's a really interesting, um, artistic thing that we all go through a lot of times we think one thing is going to be something and then it turns out to be another yeah and in this case like i specifically wrote parts of it um just a long time ago i don't even know exactly how many years like probably let's say like 10 or 12 and then i revisited it like four or five years later and that was how i was able to take sort of an initial character study and be like oh no no, this is the story um and it took like changing as a person myself to understand like what was interesting about the character. Cause before it was sort of like, a <laughs> like even the TV references I want to make to like compare it to what I was thinking are dated at this point. Like, like I, like I wasn't going to say party of five, but just imagine I was going to say party of five and like, dated that far back like like <laughs> this this man was created at a time when i had a certain set of preconceptions and i let him sit on the page like all six thousand or whatever words of him and then came back to him later and then wrote another 15 and you know rewrote three or four and that's that's how we got to where we are and um but it helped because it meant that i it, it created like a um, a knowledge of a character shift in me that maybe wouldn't have happened if I hadn't let the word sit for that long, if that makes sense. And to be fair, some of us do remember party of five, so it's okay. I thanks Marshall. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) And some of us don't. Yeah. Well, I love that you're acting like the child in this situation (laughs) and that is just fine. (laughs) That is hilarious. All right. So, Hold on. You don't need to come for me, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come for Marshall. It's not me coming for you, okay? Just know, like... Yeah, we're all, we're, we're all about it. Good. I invited Dave here. Y'all can just shut the hell up. That's why you it's know, funny. I have, like, hugged LP on more than two occasions at this point, and 
it just gives me license to say things that, you know, <laughs> I'm just going to take that license and go with it. So we support we you. Well, <laughs> what were you going to say, Will? So let's talk about growth for a minute then. Because after putting something down, coming back to it, do you feel like even after you finished this novella and it's been two years, right? 21, 22, 22. Oh God, has it? Yeah. 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 Do you, is it, it's, and I guess this is also a question for, I guess, anyone, but really Davey first. Um, do you look at it and you're like, does it capture a moment during that time for you? And then do you look at like, all right, these are the places that I want to go next. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, this book is a moment in time for me in a lot of ways because it's also like I started writing it when I was living in Dublin before I didn't successfully get my act together after college and I got kicked out of the country. And like there was a whole bunch of like, dropped balls, cut strings that like didn't happen for me. And um, so this book was in some ways relating to those things. Um, And then as a writer, the, you know, you write something and then you start submitting it and then it gets accepted. And then if you're lucky and then it gets printed and you're like, you, I, I wrote that thing five years ago and, but it's getting printed now. And you have to figure out how to stand beside work that is created by a version of you from X years ago. And like, that's interesting. And it's really hard to not reread something and be like, Oh, I would do this differently now. Or, um, I don't know. Like I do a lot of second guessing when I reread things and, that's sometimes why I don't reread them just because I'm not necessarily kind enough to my previous self. Um, that kind of turned into a monologue, but um, <laughs> very much so <laughs> tied to place. And apparently also some self-loathing. So that was a little bonus for you. <laughs> we don't know anything about self-loathing as writers. So I'm really glad you shared that with us. <laughs> right, right. No, not at all. All right. I have another question. If anyone doesn't want to go, I'll well, ask them I, I just wanted to throw something yeah. out there as far as like, I, I'm curious about your, your question will though intrigued me a little. Cause I, I finished a draft of a novel recently for my MFA program. And like, part of me is like, you know, we talk about trunk novels all the time. We talk about revisiting right. old work all the time. Right. And so I'm curious, I, I'm wondering what Dave thinks of this, but honestly, like part of me is like, do I want to revisit that novel I wrote 10 years ago, like Dave's kind of inspiring me sort of do that. Or is it something that I don't, you, you know what I mean? Like, how do you, does anybody wrestle with this decision to like go back to something old and resurrect it? I mean, don't you, don't you just reread it to see if you got the Riz? So what now? Don't you just reread it to see if you've got the Riz? You know, the Riz. I don't know what that means. Do I know what that means? Oh God. That's well, uh, cool. I'm older than you. Remember? I barely use that word. My point, my point is, is like, I'm kind of excited to go back to it, but also like, is it even worth the the bother? You know what I mean? I like that Dave said that he wrote it at a time. I'm curious to see what time my mindset was when I wrote my old stuff too. I don't know. Just something I want to throw out there because we'll ask the question. I think if you think about it like this, yeah, you should reread it you should see where you were at at that time. And then you can say, wow, did I, let's just, let's just say craft wise. It's really good. Mm. Like it's well-written. Right. But let's say you're like, you know what? I didn't go deep enough. I didn't, I didn't go to the places that scared me. And do I want to do that now? What can I take from this? Mm. And what can I um, plant new seeds to make it, where I am today and the things that I want to say now. Yeah. Because I bet you, Marshall, you should tell me if I'm wrong, but do you feel like going through the process of writing for your MFA 
that it's made you dig deeper into the things that you want to say as a storyteller? No, for sure. And, and I guess, I don't know, this isn't about me anyway. I just was, I was just intrigued by the question a little bit. And, and, um, but yeah, I think I've had to dig deeper and I don't know if that's what I'm saying. I don't know if it's worth going back to something that I wrote 10, you know, 10 years ago version of me wrote a thing and it's like, why would I bother? You know what I mean? But also like, well, where was I? You know what I mean? I think that's interesting. <laughs> I mean, but just think if you could, I always think about like the stories that benefit from two authors, right? For example, like ones that you want to showcase two voices. Mm. Is there a way to use your old work to show two voices? Could be, right? And maybe there's other ways to use that change in yourself as a benefit for the work. I don't know. I would just, it's project by project, but like in this case, like it felt really useful. Like yeah. it felt like a way to both use like my moronic early 20s self and then man, like, like just mull it over and then use that differently as a Jesus, I guess I'm, I mean, I'm 41 now, but whatever that was when I put the book out. So, uh, 40. Well, no, I mean, this is from gosh, remember time keeps passing anyway, but like 39? Okay. 39. I was merely in my late thirties at the time, I guess. I don't know. Like, but the point was that like <laughs> there there's like a decade gives you some, something yeah. to like work with when you are looking at your old work. And, um, that, that felt useful in this case where the, like one of the themes of the book was literally like gr growth over a great period of time. So, yeah. um, maybe there's other like, um, points of change or conflict in your old stories that like looking at again, will be like, Oh, I can like, it's like, you get a, you get the free work of a younger version of you. You just <laughs> like banked it for yourself for <laughs> however many years, you know? But also uh, like in, in the, in the looking at old work, you, you don't have that closeness. <laughs> to it that you did 10 years ago, obviously. And so you can really just look at it and say, that was good. This was trash. That was good. That was good. This is trash. It was like, hmm, is there enough good in here that I can repurpose this elsewhere? Can I remove, is there enough good in this that I can do this novel again? It was like, yeah. in this case, Dave said yes. <laughs> right. Well, that's, and that's why I asked the question. It wasn't about me. I was, you know, Dave's well, inspiring. So, you know, I'll stop it. Stop. All right, Nick, then Will, go ahead. <laughs> So before Zencaster boots me out again, um, I find this subject fascinating as Marshall and I are finishing up our MFA and we've already had to revisit things we wrote two years ago when we first started the program. So in a time-lapse thing like that, like Dave, like what is like thought processes on like, do you scrap the whole thing and restart? Is that like what you would do? Or is this one of the things you pull, you pull what you can and rework it into your new self? Cause you were talking about two different author voices technically, which would, that would be because of the time jump. I'm curious, like in that type of situation, like do you think it's more beneficial or your process to scrap the whole thing or revise what you already wrote? So this is, very particular for me, but I, um, my, my, I can type quickly, but my creative word successfully expressed on page rate, whatever that acronym would be is bad. Like it takes me a while to like get words on the page. So for me, if I can rework something rather than rewrite, I'll always rework. But I think about my friend and colleague, Marianne Kirby, her revision technique is to like, she'll have the thing open in a separate window and she's retyping the whole ass thing. That's me. And it's, I know a couple me, people that do that. It is deranged to me. Like I cannot <laughs> understand how anyone works that way. And incidentally, Will, you came up earlier when I was talking with her and she was like, Will is great. Will is so smart. So, um, just if your, if your ears were burning, um, oh, that was so nice. 
Because I think you all I were writing Miriam. together at Futurescapes, maybe. But um, yeah, yeah. Aww. So Tori said hi. So she writes, rewrites in this completely deranged, deranged way that I cannot recommend, but it works really well for her. And just like picturing it, like almost gives me hives. So <laughs> I, I like I don't know what to say for like what the best thing for you is with your old stuff, but like for me, like like having a scaffolding to rework sentences around is is good. And I, I don't mind doing that, even if like ultimately there's like some ship of Theseus shit happening where like it's not even like the same thing later, but at least I had a thing to uh, accrete words on Pearl like until eventually it was it was cute. Um but if if you want to just trash it and take the idea from it, I support that too. Thank you for answering that. I don't know if it was really helpful, but kind of do right. No, it really it's, it's insight into your brain and what you do, which is what I like. <laughs> Will. Thank you so much, Nick, for passing the mic to me. Um all right. Thank you so much for showing up. <laughs> well, thank you. Oh my God. Can I not edit out this stuff this time, please? Come on. People. Yeah, you don't have to. No, please, please don't. I was on a date. Um, wow. How did it go? Um, we can talk about that afterwards. Um, it's getting better, but okay. Yeah. All right, Dave, let's talk about writing for a minute. When you say you have a hard time getting words on the page, I want to talk about that with you. What do you think is holding you back from getting words on the page? And I ask you this because you are such a good editor and everyone that, you know, we've had on the show just talks about like how much you have such an eye for story. So I'm wondering, is it hard to get words on the page because your editor brain won't click off? Or is it because when you're reading people that maybe you love their work, and you're helping them shape a story that it can be intimidating to be like, okay, well, what am I going to do? Is this another thing where I have to give you a therapist copay? <laughs> Bring it on, brother. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think in general, my like switching between tasks, brain ability to do that, can get in my way as far as um, creating work. So my most effective writing times are on vacation, leaning out of like a pool or a hot tub, writing on a legal pad. This both creates more work for myself because I then have to transcribe my garbage handwriting from said (laughs) legal pad and it, you know, you can't be on vacation all the time, right? So to my dismay. So uh, I, I have some tricks for productivity, but they, they, I, I know my own tricks at this point. So in order to, to make them work, I, it's hard. Um, I, uh, a couple, a couple of years ago at this point, I started, joining a like writing zoom at 9am that I did for an hour before my day job. And then I get laid off and like, it was like the thing I did. And I, I did write a whole ass novella in two months back in, I think it was like early 2021 and I'm still shopping it around. Um, but now that's like my co-working that's like, I work from home. So now that's just like where I get, I socialize in the morning. It's not where I create words. So I need a new trick for making words. Um, I myself and maybe I think 12 other writers were doing a writing retreat at highlights foundation in Pennsylvania in September for a week that I'm really looking forward to because I, I really benefit from peer pressure to get words on the page. And it will also help, I think to switch from editor brain to 
trying to write for myself. Cause I think the answer I was kind of dodging there was that, um, it's just, it's just really hard to switch from other people's projects to my own. Like when I'm reading someone else's book, like their whole book is just in my head all the time. So going from that to my own stuff, sometimes I have to kind of like slap myself in the cheek and be like, that's not your story. That's somebody else's. And then like move on with my life and just come back to my own shit later. Okay. So this is what I'm hearing. When you say (laughs) that you were writing on the legal pad, right? Yeah. And, you know, like vacation, is it that you, do you feel like when you've looked in the past about your writing that you actually write better when you're relaxed and happy? Again, with the non-consensual therapy. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> you're not wrong. And I don't like it. And yeah. So the other thing is uh, legal pads are good for me because you can't edit as you go. Um, Word mm-hmm. documents, it's so easy to be like, that sentence sucks. Like, let's fix it. Whereas in a legal pad, sometimes you'll do brackets and be like, like, great conversation goes here. <laughs> or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and like, obviously that is like a huge turd to deliver to your future self. But in the meantime, it lets you just keep going. Right. So that's, that's my like love letter to legal pads. And they're just a little bit longer than a regular pad. So you can just write two more sentences than you would write on a regular pad. And the yellow paper? I don't know. I just write more in yellow paper. I don't know. Um, yellow uh, to the brain, especially when it's done in uh, certain patterns, like uh, the rectangleness of a legal pad, it tells the brain to slow down. I don't know if anyone knew that. No, but I can't. My handwriting is ridiculously... Yeah, mine Not, is so bad too. I like I'm, it's but but th- so the the difference then is when you handwrite and then you transcribe. I think of my handwritten draft as draft point seven five, and my transcription as draft one point five, hmm. because not only the terrible brackets that I leave for myself, but also in the process of deciphering my terrible handwriting. And realizing, like, oh, you just didn't feel like you needed conjunctions when you wrote this the first time, did you? Like, uh, <laughs> it just means that you're, like, polishing as you go, but you've, like, written more. I don't know. So it, it just works better for me, and I can kind of keep going with it. So anytime I've tried to write something longer than novella, I've needed to go longhand with the legal pen. And maybe the, maybe the shape of it is also working in my favor. I don't know. Okay. So we love having you on Dave and we could do this all night. I'm sure. But as people call me, I have to start being conscious of the time. So we want to start winding down, but before we get to that, I just want, I want to circle back to the book a little bit. Um, You know, I'm curious, what do you, and I don't know if you'll like this question, but what do you want people to take away after they read this particular story? Oh, I don't know. I feel like that's kind of on them. I like, I wanted to write about these people and kind of put them in this particular terrible situation. But I'm, I think what people take away from it, I'm ambivalent. not quite right, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but I think I guess I guess I wanted to contribute my like spin on the urban fantasy canon and just see where it went. I think that was what I was kind of hoping for from it. And if some people vibe with it, they do. And if some people are like, they should have broke it up or whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever people are feeling. I think that's, I think that's fine. I just, uh, was just doing my part to try to <laughs> come up with the how do these immortals feel like mortals feel like immortals feel like mortals and whatever that means for any reader. No, I love that. And the reason I asked that question too, is we try to avoid major spoilers uh, when we have people on because we want people to read your book, obviously. So um, I think that's intriguing. So Dave, 
I'm going to lead us into the last question that we ask our guests. And if you never listen to our podcast, we'll buckle up. I just want to know what keeps you writing. Poor Dave. (laughs) No, I, I think the thing that keeps me writing is the knowledge that there's some stories that get retread over and over again. And there's, there's some aspects of humanity that hasn't been. And I'm just sort of interested in scratching that itch, even if it's only a little bit, um, even if for somebody else, it feels just like one of those areas that's been retread. I don't know. I feel like I'm just thinking that I, gosh, I can't repeat what I said last time. Can I? There's there's like an arrogance involved, I think, but it, it is this part of creating things, and I both sort of like revel in that and find it deeply uncomfortable. So like, I'm hoping that people find the same things that I think are interesting, interesting, <laughs> and um, and then also simultaneously hoping that literally no one ever reads anything I write ever, and that it just exists in the world as an artifact that I've put there and um, we can move on without ever discussing it, which is clearly unsuccessful because I'm on this podcast. Indeed. Indeed. Oh yeah. So I was just going to say too, you have been on the show before and we want to do this again because we love having you on. Um, But in case this is somebody's first episode, you did say, we talked about Neon Hemlock last time you were on and that kind of thing. So where can people find you on the internet? I'll put it in the show notes and then um, then you can get more people reading your stuff. Cool. Yeah. So my name is Dave Ring. My personal writing is at dave-ring.com. I'm on Twitter and uh, Instagram. The username is SlickHop. And then Neon Hemlock is the small press that I run and that's it. Neon Hemlock at all those socials. Um, and I think one of the things I wanted to say last time and I didn't remember to, and I'll just throw it in here now is that if other folks are in a position where they're considering getting into small press stuff or want to edit anthologies. And if I can never lend a hand or dump any of the knowledge I've accumulated in my brain into your brain, uh, please get in touch. I would love to, share some of that yeah awesome. dave is the grandfather of the voodoo knots anthology i'm thrilled and dismayed to hear <laughs> that title thank you <laughs> well thanks for coming on dave I'm so young lp i'm so young <laughs> the anthology has four parents you can't be the parent i'm sorry i i i feel that i feel that it could be the zaddy <laughs> oh, God. we're not doing that okay have a good night y'all bye <laughs> And this has been Just Keep Writing, a podcast for writers, by writers, to keep you writing. You can find us at justkeepwriting.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Feel free to reach out to any of us on our social medias, and please jump in our Just Keep Writing Discord channel. Links to all of that is in the show notes. Lastly, please support our show by going to patreon.com slash justkeepwriting. We offer daily writing prompts, early access to podcast episodes, and much more. Thanks for listening, and just keep writing.